Welcome to the Mr. Mike Podcast, Wrong Answers Only, Interview Edition. Sometimes I use uh, some of the audio bits for intros and endings and, and different yeah. things like that. And uh, my co-host who's not joining us, uh, usually I use stuff against him, but uh, <laughs> he knows that. <laughs> I actually got in literally at 7.25 Eastern. It was a really hectic day and thank you for being flexible. Oh, no problem. It was a little bit crazy today and um, All right, look at this. Uh, Lori, I have to say before we get into your books (laughs) and your jobs and stuff, okay? You've written children's books. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I'm a teacher. So I, I love children's books. So we'll, we'll get to that after. So I, and I, your last name, Nav or Navi? Nave. Like Nave. 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 <laughs> okay. I because I, I, I know I know a couple of people with the same last name, but they they always pronounce it Navi. So I was like, I guess that's a bit of the the French connection in Canada here. But so Lori Nav or Nave. Nave like Nave, you know, Sir Nave with the knife and the sword and the yeah. so Lori Nave a writer musician instructional designer and you were a teacher general music and and you taught choir for 16 years yep let's let's go back to the teaching okay tell us a little bit about teaching and music in general in the choir well it's so funny I've always loved music took piano I wrote this little song when I was 13 or 14 and sang it at our church and then started singing a lot and this was in the early mid 80s and back then contemporary christian music as the as they called it was you know kind of a big thing so that's what i was going to do i was going to be the next amy grant i don't know if you've ever heard of her but you know the next big thing next big thing yeah yeah so it came time for college and i was going to major in music of course and my dad he's he's so smooth my dad said i'm sure you're going to be really famous one day. But until you're discovered, you might need a job. So what do you think about majoring in music education instead of voice? Well, wise words. And was, yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, fine. You know, so obviously I did not become the next big thing, but I did t- end up teaching music. Um, I got my undergrad. I got my master's. I started work on a PhD mm-hmm. and then I got engaged, and so I quit. I never did finish the PhD, and I never thought I would teach music. In fact, the first couple of years that I taught, I didn't like it at all. Really? And I had a had a couple of babies close together, and at a certain point, wanting to have you know enough money to, you know, go to the doctor when the baby's sick became a big thing. So I thought, well, I'm just going to see if there's a teaching job out there, and I got lucky, and I 
began teaching at an elementary school in Auburn, Alabama, and spent, I had taught in Tennessee and some other places. Mm-hmm. And that was where I really learned to love teaching. I taught first through fifth grade at an elementary school. I had about 450 kids oh. and I loved it. The kids were so cool. Most of them had parents who were university professors. So, you know, they're all nerdy and smart and love Monty <laughs> Python. And um, I did, we did choir and I had a great principal for a couple of years who was really into the arts and helped us to write grants so that we got about $40,000 total to do things with the arts. And, That's awesome, yeah. And I got to go to some training about integrating the arts with all the other subjects and ended up being a trainer for the state, going all over the place doing wow. professional development. So yeah. I loved teaching the kids, and I loved the arts integration. But um, it's a pretty specialized thing. So when our family moved to a teeny tiny town in South Alabama, actually where Harper Lee lived, oh. uh, there weren't any music teaching jobs. And that's when I decided it was time to do something else. And I wrote for a while and worked as a voter registrar, which was really interesting to work in a very racist town <laughs> when Barack Obama won wow. the presidency. Right. But, but um, and then that turned into some curriculum stuff and then instructional design. And that's what I do now. So, But you, you also wrote that you worked at NASA? I actually, that was, right now I'm working at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. I've been there for about five and a half years. Right. I actually was hired to be 50% with the university, with their online learning department, and okay. 50% with a department of NASA called SPORT, uh, short, Short-Term Prediction Operations Research and Transition. Basically, people who create products based on satellite information for weather forecasters. Interesting. You know, we all know what radar is because we see that on television, but there are all sorts of other products that help predict convection and smoke for for wildfires and blah, blah, blah. And they needed someone to create e-learning for a little mini training for their forecasters. So I did that. And I I was always a weather nerd anyway, so that was fun. (laughs) But then... um, that two-year contract ran out, and so I worked for NASA full-time for a year and a half or so. And in the middle of the pandemic, a better-paying job at the university opened up, so I just made the jump across the street. And now I'm just a, a um, I create online courses and online interactive textbooks and stuff like that for the faculty. That's that's amazing. It's such a it's such a diverse experience going from teacher to working at NASA, the university to NASA, the bat. <laughs> That's amazing. I I, I, st- I got to say, I kind of still wish I worked at NASA yeah. because when you say I work at NASA, whoever you're talking to, you can just see their face like, ooh, she's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> did, did you get like a, a special uniform or a T-shirt that says NASA on it? Did they give you anything like that? Uh, they they bought us a couple of things like that. Yeah. It was awesome too. If you've you've been in education, so you know there's never any money anywhere. Exactly. And I would say I've run out of space on my laptop. <laughs> can I can I get a one terabyte external hard drive? And my supervisor's like, "How much is it?" And I said, "It's forty nine dollars." He said, "Oh, let's just get you a four terabyte one for two hundred. Oh. <laughs> He's like. Some people are getting very desks. Do you want one? You know the one where you could stand up or sit down. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. He said, you want the good one? I was like, yeah. Yeah. Am I supposed to? <laughs> every, 
Am I supposed to say yes? I don't. I feel I mean, bad. There's there's money. They sent me to a conference for thousands of dollars, and I'm like, oh my gosh. But yeah, it was fun. But that's super cool. Yeah, and education. Uh, you're lucky if you get the good old desk with yeah. some of the drawers working. <laughs> you bring your own chair from home, which someone stole from me, and I had to steal back. And yeah, it's, it's yeah, always I think key. I spent about between eight. Hundred nine hundred dollars a year on my classroom, just because you want them to have good stuff, you know. Yeah, it's um, I've moved around in classrooms a lot, and I I teach close self-contained classrooms for children with autism, Ooh. kindergarten to grade three mostly. I did that with music. The school where I taught in Auburn housed the self-contained. They had two: one for for multiply physically disabled students and mm-hmm. one autism class. And I loved teaching them music. They're so Some of them so cool. really love music and others mm-hmm. just can't handle the noise. Yeah. And so yeah. it's always that, um, is that balance. But I- I've been doing that for a number of years now. And um, part of my shtick would be building, let's say, bins and getting, I-, I tell everybody, if you have any broken games or recycled materials, give them to me. And I try to repurpose them and make and make like fine motor and gross motor activities. Oh and, yeah! But in the last couple of years since I moved, changed jobs, uh, gone back, gone back and forth, uh, everything has been destroyed or missing. Uh, so I have to I have to restart. But um, yeah, it's uh, money out of your pocket. I know. It's uh, and I got an eleven month year old, so it's kind of. <gasps> oh. Uh, she's uh, her birthday's in at the end of the month. Oh wow! But uh, yeah, so you know. Oh, so you're at the beginning of the parent journey. I'm at the beginning. Uh, I would say I'm at the end, but I still got one that's finding themselves. So that's okay. I'm in. I, I'm theoretically at the end, but you know. <laughs> My mother always says I'm still her little boy, and uh, she <laughs> she always has to take care of me. So I'm like, thanks, Ma. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so NASA. That's cool. Uh, University of Alabama, and um, and you were dabbling in writing, and so then you. Where was your? Where did you find the time to write? Well, my first book, which I will never tell anyone the title of because it was horrendous. <laughs> um, I wrote after sort of a personal marriage family crisis, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and I. Uh, the statute of limitations is up. So I wrote that book while my intern was teaching. <laughs> I mean, you're supposed to be in there, but yeah. you can't teach because they're supposed to practice. Right. And and then during the summer, um, I didn't write much at all while my kids were growing up, growing up, like in the elementary, junior high stage. There's just not time. But um, once they both were in high school and beyond, which was around 2012-ish or so, then I had more time to write. And when I was a voter registrar, all you did really was sit at the desk, keep records if any came in, and wait in case someone wanted to register to vote. I mean, that's what I did. And so I wrote two or three naughty novels under a pen name while I was working there, um, <laughs> someone challenged me to write something better than Fifty Shades because I was ragging on the first person present tense. Yes, blah, blah. yes. Yeah. And um, so I did. And this company called Blushing Books liked them and published them. It was really funny. I mean, because I'm a Baptist girl and all that. And it was just funny that anyway. It's your alter ego. My alter ego, <laughs> Sharon Kelly, <laughs> which is actually... My birth name, I'm adopted, and my oh. birth name was Sharon Kelly, so I thought, hey, good pen name. But um, 
now I have a lot of time to write because my kids are out of the house and my husband's really supportive and he likes to play in his shed fixing things. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been doing that a lot around the house. I'm renovating my basement and well, uh, practically all the entire house. So uh, my wife, every time she's trying to look for me, I'm in the basement with a jackhammer digging up cement or <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you right now. What? Yeah. So that, okay. So then you did that. You dabbled in it. You had time to actually write doing the uh, register thing. That's pretty yeah. cool. And then uh, I, I see you have, a, I mean, you have a, I'm even on your website right now. So you have a bunch of books that are published and you have an amazing, you have a great website. Oh, uh, thank you. I love yep. doing stuff like that. I'm, my mom used to say that I was so right brained. It was, she wondered why I didn't like lean over when I walked. Um, I don't really know where my car keys are. But I really love design websites and, you know, blah, blah. But it's uh, it's very nice. It's honestly, uh, I, I've a couple of people have shown me their websites and there's always stuff missing and it's not laid out very well. But this is very professional. So, oh, thank you. Very, very nice. So uh, you also published two suspense novels, mm -hmm. right? Chosen by a Killer and Revenge a la Dante. Yes. Featuring... Uh, Celia Brockwell yes, as the yes. do anything for the story journalist. And then uh, The Bone Farm, your third installment, which you will be publishing early in 2023. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, um, I'm excited about that one because it's going to bring in some, some redneck trivia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can only write so much as a Southerner without bringing in some redneck, but, um, I had no idea I would get so attached to the characters in Chosen by a Killer. And um, I just love them. This one's going to feature the, the little old lady Lucille a little more than the other books. So That's, that's awesome. But, uh, I, I mean, you, I guess you get invested, right, in the characters you develop oh, and yeah. you're right? And yeah. it kind of takes it, on a life. Yeah, I, I, I thought it would be standalone. But one of the characters actually... Uh, Celia's good friend was based on a friend of mine that owns an Italian restaurant. Mm. I even named her after her because I did some of my writing sitting in her restaurant during their downtimes uh -huh. when I was working remotely. Inspiration. And, yes. And so she, several people were like, we want more. What happens next? Which, of course, boosts your ego. And I thought, okay. I got to bring Marlene in on this next story a little more. And since she runs an Italian restaurant, that's why it's called Revenge al Dente. And um, Marlene actually has to suffer in this one. You know, got to make them suffer. But um, <laughs> but then I, I um, there's an old farm near where I live that there's some stories about it being haunted. And I've seen some oh. pictures and they're really creepy. And I thought, wouldn't it be creepy and I don't know how it works where you are, but down here, if property isn't used and it just, you know, everybody that owned it dies or they can't find them, then the state can just take it and do stuff with it. Yeah. And um, that's what's happening in the bone farm, except they find a burial ground <gasps> full of bodies that are now bones. And there's a secret past that involves someone in the book that kind of ties it all together. And this will probably be the last one because I'm ADHD and lasting three books is a miracle. I don't think there'll be any more, but we'll see. <laughs> you have a lot of projects started and you're like, which one do I finish now? Or which one do I tackle now? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's normal. That's that's uh, that's how I read books. I leave I leave books everywhere around the house and I start them. But you know, this one's for the office. This one's for the kitchen. This one's for the bathroom. This one's for the car. And then uh, a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, I could pick up exactly where I left off. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. So then you also published Where Magnolias Lie. It's a historical romance. It is. It was going to be another naughty book, but I just sort of got bored with that phase. Yeah. And so <laughs> I thought, I'm going to make this a real historical romance. It's actually set in New Orleans and my hometown of Florence, Alabama. Oh. And um, so I was like, okay, but I want to change the first person. So I gave it to my daughter, who also writes and is very good you know, and very detail-oriented. And I said, could you change all of the third-person references to Priscilla to first-person? But I forgot to take out the naughty parts before I gave it to her. (laughs) (laughs) And there's something about your 23-year-old daughter reading about things throbbing that's just very humbling. So she she laughed at me and she said she was going to add a syntax, but... You know, but she did that, and I took those parts out, and it's more you know the purple fade to fade after they kiss stuff. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I that's not normally what I write, but but it was fun, and I got to do a lot of research about Northwest Alabama in the early 1800s. So that's awesome. Uh, Do you spend a lot of time researching to to develop your novels? I do. I don't really know what a lot of time is. I am very hyperdrivey, and um, I've even noticed at work projects that like would take some other people two weeks. I seem to be able to do in three days. Now I have to go back and fix all the typos, but I'm just a high velocity worker. So I do a lot of research and I do a lot of copying and pasting and reading, but it's all kind of warp speedy. And so I kind of out, I figure out what I want to happen and what parts I'm going to have to research to make it believable. And that's what I target, if that makes sense. It, like, does, it makes make sense. You get it down. You get like the, the skeleton the, and then the meat and the potatoes you fill in. You're like, okay, this yeah. needs more detail. I'm going to go research this and however long it yeah. takes. Like I did, I did a lot of research about how, um, about how lethal injection works. I mean, that's not a spoiler because... Yeah. She's inter- you know, she's interviewing a serial killer. How lethal injection works, and then uh, which states have the de- had the death penalty in two thousand seventeen? Because I don't want to write that, you know, <laughs> she was executed, and this state doesn't have the death penalty. Although I did let one get past me in the historical romance, and my friend, who's an English teacher, called me on it after Uh-oh. it was published. I'm like, you couldn't have told me before. <laughs> but there's a sort of tree that I mentioned that was a hybrid that did not exist in 1830, whatever, but oh well. Well, <laughs> that's it. it passes, it works, right? It had, I needed a flowering tree and that was the only one I could think of, so. It had me, had me thinking about that. I saw a video the other day of um, people transplanting different apple tree branches onto an, other apple trees. And so the apple tree would grow different, different apples. And that's I said, wild. I said to my wife, I'm like, you think we could do that? I'm like, I know we get a lot of winter, but. We used to have an apple tree when I was younger in my parents' backyard. She goes, you got enough to do. Don't worry about it. You'll do it when you're older. I'm like, oh, all right. But yeah, that would, that'd be interesting. Also, now that we're going to get to the children's books, 
I, I was looking at that and I'm like, this is so cool. Uh, this <laughs> You have the Secret Sympathy uh, at the City Zoo. Ginger's Jazz Journey coming in 2023. And the Magical Musical Menagerie. Yeah. So tell us about those books. Well, the, the Musical Menagerie and then the um, the Secret Symphony came from things I created when I was still a teacher. Hmm. There's an approach to teaching music called ORF, O-R-F-F, and um, he believed that we learn to read, we learn music, we learn everything most effectively the same way we learn to talk. You do it, right? and then you learn about what you've done, you know, and so you play. The children play. It's a little bit like Suzuki. They play from a young age, and then they learn what those notes are later. So you use a lot of rhyming and a lot of chanting. And so I would write rhymes. I wrote, but the rhymes would also teach concepts, like um, the pizza story in Musical Menagerie. He's creating a pizza, but each part of the pizza is a different note. The crust is a whole note, and then the sauce is two half notes, and so and so. And then there was a little dance I would do in my classroom. So I just took those little rhyming stories that I created while I was teaching and um, between Procreate and some stock images I purchased the rights to, Mm -hmm. just illustrate them. And and the primary purpose was for early childhood teachers or general music teachers to be able to use them not only to teach some music concepts, but you can also create those musical ORF arrangements with them um, where you layer the instruments and stuff. And um, Ginger's Jazzy Journey, I kind of wanted to branch out from the basic, you know, notes of the scale stuff to to more jazz music history type things, make it fun. And um, Ginger is actually my dachshund, which sadly we had to put down yesterday. But so I'm sorry but to hear she's, that. Yeah, she's um she's the main character in Ginger's Jazzy Journey, and she lives with her boy Patterson and mm-hmm. her girl Brooklyn. And Brooklyn is the, you know, effervescent, but somewhat spacey, artsy girl. Don't know where I came up with that idea. And this, the boy is very, very smart, but he's also on the autism spectrum. And mm-hmm. and so Ginger does a lot to help him with calmness and stuff. And he also likes to design computer games. Oh. And Ginger, on their trip to New Orleans one day when, when I when they're asleep in the hotel, Ginger accidentally pushes the wrong button and she is sucked into his computer game where she meets New Orleans jazz musicians from the past. So so that's gonna actually be a chapter book. I thought it would be a picture book, but it's eight thousand words. So Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a long picture book. <laughs> no. If I were Patricia Polacco, I could totally pull it off, but you know. That's when I looked and saw that 500 to 1,000 words is pic- the long picture book length, I was like, yeah. well, we'll make this into chapters. So yeah. I, I have some, I have a couple of picture book uh, drafts that I've written that are on the back burner that I, I feel like that maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll get around to them or trying to publish them. But um, it's funny because I always, I always fascinated when I learn about people when they, like I self-published my poetry book on Amazon. And I'm always fascinated when I learn about people who publish their own books, write novels, and then and do children's books. Like I always wanted to do the children's literature class in my college years that was only 24 spots. It was always oh. full. Always, I always miss that, but uh, that's amazing. Well, I was an avid reader as a child. I mean, I was a nerdy, weird, shy child. 
and books were my escape, and so was writing, really. But while I taught at that great school in Auburn, the uh, media specialist, which is what we call librarians now, Mm -hmm. um, she loved children's books and was just an aficionado of the, you know, Caldecott and all of those. And, And I rediscovered loving reading children's books while I was teaching. I read all the Lemony Snicket. I read, reread a lot of the Judy Bloom and Sharon Creech books and, and, um, started writing some children's books then. I don't know if I'll ever do anything with that old stuff because when you write grown up stuff, it's really hard to shift gears. But, um, but yeah, I, I really like writing for children, especially when it's teaching something. I guess that's just the, teacher thing in me but yeah i love kindergarten i think it's my favorite my favorite grade and because you get to read picture books as well oh yeah that's uh and they really they get invested they really get oh, invested so i you know you'll see me if i go to the bookstore i'm always the guy with the beard and the children's <laughs> books and people are looking at you funny you're like uh, it's okay it's okay i'm a teacher but that's amazing and all your books are available to purchase on your website at laurienaveauthor.com. They are. And you can also, of course, get them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Target has some of them. Um, I did, I used Ingram Spark. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're a... Yeah. Ingram, of course, Ingram itself is a big publisher, but Ingram Spark is the self-publishing arm. But when you publish with them, your book gets listed in that big catalog that's sent to all the bookstores. Oh. And um, so... I use that. There's a fee to use it, and some and getting your formatting right can be a pain in the patootie. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I like the fact that I can sell them on more than just Amazon. And um, well, you know, get you can read a broader audience that way. Yeah, and I love the formatting. But once you get the formatting down, the quality is really good. Yeah, they put out. In fact, I think the quality of like the cover and the vibrant colors is better even than Amazon. So. Amazon, uh, yeah, Amazon, uh, KDP. Yeah, it's a little, a little tricky for, for some things, I find, but I, I, when I did my poetry book, that's the route I took because I thought it was the easiest route to go for. And, oh, uh, yeah, it's definitely more intuitive and user friendly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cool. Compa- I, I mean, I had some difficulties with like, um, the DPI settings on some of the images and oh, different yeah. things. And, you know, I mean, you had to play with around with it a little bit, but it was the easiest one to to do. So that's fantastic, and they're all on your webpage, and I'm looking at them right now. And you also have, if I'm not mistaken, it says Singing River Services. Yes. So tell me, tell us about that. Well, um, I do, like I said, some freelance formatting and and cover design and that sort of thing, also. And when I self-published. I created uh, doing business as sole proprietorship and registered the name Singing River Publishing. And that's what I published my books under. Mm -hmm. Um, I chose Singing River because if you've ever seen the independent film Muscle Shoals about the music history and recording history in Muscle Shoals where I live, um, they call it the land of the singing river. And I won't go into all that. And I mean, unless you want to at some point, but um, (laughs) So there's Singing River Dentistry, there's Singing River, I mean, Singing River Brewing, you know, that's just a thing. And there was no Singing River Publishing, and I thought, well, that's where I live, and I like the sound of that. So I called it Singing River Publishing. And most of what I do is I'll format your book for print, I format all the different ebook 
iteration, ZPub, Mobi, whatever. I do cover design. Um, I can do some, I'm not the greatest marketer, but I can create trailers and graphics and that kind of thing that can be used for marketing books. And, um, you know, it's just sort of, sort of a, I'm trying to slowly build these things so that when I'm 62, which is coming sooner than I would like it to, I can stop commuting 126 miles a day to Huntsville and back. Right. And retire and do full-time freelance kind of things. Well, it's like uh, you water something and it takes a little time to grow, but as you, you're you establishing yourself and, uh, and, and you get your name out there. I have lots of writers that follow me on Twitter. And I don't know if they're all going to listen to the podcast, but if they do and they are listening, <laughs> you could contact Lori for some services. So people oh, don't. They're not going to see me. They're not going to see you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. People keep telling me I got to do a video podcast. I'm like, when I get a, an actual room that doesn't look like a storage, I might, I might do it. But well, this is good because this is. I mean, this is just audio, and yeah. then, you know, five years when I've you know decided it's time to do Weight Watchers again, then I'll come back, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's awesome! Uh, we get and so we can find you on Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, and Facebook. So on Facebook, Lori Nave author on Instagram, lyrically Lori, mm-hmm. and Twitter it's uh, it's called uh, you pronounce it Loriusi. That's what my dad used to tell us stories on car trips. And my brother's name is John. So the boy character was Nodge, which is John spelled backwards. I don't know. There you, go. you can't really say Laurie backwards. So he just made up Luriusi. And that was kind of my nickname, you know, Nodge and Luriusi. And so I thought, hey, that'll be my name for internet things that was my first email address luriusi at aol <laughs> AOL, yeah. <laughs> all those cds to throw at our doors yeah yeah but you know i never had to worry about it being taken so that's good so on twitter at l-u-r-i-o-o-s-i luriusi yes. and also again everybody laurienaveauthor.com for her books and services check it out that's all your books and your writing, unless I'm missing something. In your spare time, you, you spend time with your family and your children and your stepson. Mm-hmm. And you also love baking. Yes, I love baking. So, what I mean, what is your number one super, like, this, I could sell this at a restaurant. This this is amazing. Well, two there are two things that I get requested every time there's going to be something family or church or work. Uh, the first thing is bread pudding. Uh, Paula Dean has a great bread pudding recipe, mm. but um, I tweaked it and um, changed some of the ingredients. Instead of using um, rum, I use a certain type of brandy. And anyway, um, and everybody loves that. And um, so I make that a lot. I actually, if you ever read Medium, medium.com, a lot of people write on there. Um, I actually wrote my adaptation of her bread pudding as with the recipe. I can't remember it all right now, but, and then there's this other, um, dessert called ooey gooey butter cake. And it's sort of a cross between a coffee cake, butter cake and cheesecake. Oh, I'm I'm already in heaven. (laughs) (laughs) And, And, um, 
when I make fa- when I make that for family gatherings, I always make two because everybody wants to bring home a bunch and yeah. all that stuff. And um, I just love. I like to fiddle with things. Um, I don't ever follow the recipe completely. Um, even I know when I was when I was eight or nine, we had to cook our own meal for a some sort of assignment, and we were supposed to use a recipe and cook dinner for our family, but I didn't want to use a recipe, just like I always turned over the coloring sheet and drew my own picture. Yeah. So I made bologna casserole. Oh. Yes, but which was bologna cheese and crackers cooked at 150 degrees for 35 minutes. Sounds delicious. I know my parents love me because they <laughs> ate it. <laughs> but but I like to, um, there are things you can do with cake mixes to make them more like bakery cakes, you mm-hmm. know, substituting milk and adding more butter. And and um, I, I like, hmm, what would it be like if you wanted to make a maple bacon cake with such and such frosting? So I just, I like to play around. Experimentation. Yeah. <laughs> I I love cheesecake. I love coffee cake. And sadly, in the last couple of years, I've been uh, been dealing with gluten intolerance and oh. lactose intolerance. And, and it's just, there was for like a year, a year and a half, I I was literally not able to eat anything. And I, I've lost all kinds of weight. And then when I was starting to introduce things back into my system, I gained a lot of it back really fast. And now I'm starting to lose again because I'm, I'm kind of finding that middle ground where what I can yeah. eat and not eat. So yeah. I do get to eat the, some types of regular cake and stuff every once in a while. But I have a threshold. I can't eat. If there's a whole cake on the table, I better not eat all of it. Just just have a slice, Mike. Just have one slice and yeah. I'm okay. If you get the right kind of gluten-free flour, like the rice gluten-free flour, and you do half and half with regular flour. And mm. then you can use lactate or the purity lactose-free milk. You, it's almost the same. It's not quite the same consistency, but it's almost the same. My husband has lactose issues. And so if we ever make homemade ice cream, I use lactate. Um, if we make, when I make shakes and stuff, I always, and, but yeah, it is kind of a pain. It's sad because I, I really like desserts. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and so uh outside of that uh is there anything else you would like to add uh gosh there are so many things that right now and i don't want to say too much because you know it's just sort of a, there there's something that i've always wanted to do mm-hmm. right a sort certain type of writing i've always wanted to do and someone that i follow on twitter just tossed out this thing a couple days ago if you are interested in this thing, it's a TV show I'm binging right now, then let me know. And I was like, oh, I'm interested. It's something I've always wanted to do. So right now I'm researching monsters and German mythological lore mm. of the 1800s yes. and um, delving back into the horror. I used to love to write horror, but I never really shared much of it because... It's really dark. (laughs) So, but so I'm kind of revamping. In fact, last night I dreamed that a monster was trying to, a a Vesson was trying to kill my dog Ginger and I couldn't get to it. But it turns out that Ginger was also a sort of shape shifting monster that was just, you know, inhabiting the form of a dachshund and she turned into her monster and defeated the Vesson. Anyway, and, and so, you remember your dreams when you wake up. You have oh, to write. You have to write this I down. I have 
Yes, I, I have bizarre dreams. I dream in color. I sometimes dream in animation. Some of my dreams are musicals. I mean, a lot of my really dark stuff. I've had nightmares since I was a kid. A lot of the weirdo dark stuff I write comes from really bizarre dreams. So I've always had been a vivid dreamer. Uh, I, I was just talking about that the other day with my friend. I always have vivid dreams regularly unless I'm uh, lacking sleep and dog tired. Like in the last uh, this couple of weeks, I've been working, doing extra jobs and stuff during the day. So I'm not, I'm not getting my full sleep, but when normally when I, when I'm sleeping regularly, I always have these weird dreams and, and they're always like different worlds or zombie apocalypse or something. And, and, and I remember them. It's like you're living them. Yeah. It's very, it's very, uh, sometimes it's yeah. very like dark. Do you ever, know. do you ever dream that you woke up and so you think you're awake, but then suddenly whatever horrible thing that was in your dream comes back? And you're like, oh my god, it's real! And then you're like, oh no, wait, I didn't really. I do that all the time. I had a couple of times, I would say. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday. yeah. I used to. My the one that seems to bother people the most is the dream I used. I had one time where Q-tips were stuck in my face, oh. and the only way to get the Q-tips out is to hold my eyeball in place and pull them out. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I don't have any dreams like that. <laughs> yeah i used to that's mom and dad would never let me watch anything scary just the front cover of carrie in the early 80s gave me nightmares yeah. for three weeks that bloody pig-blooded woman followed me everywhere i don't like horror movies and uh my a lot of my friends do but i i never did and but i love the books i love to read it but and i like to write it but the movies i don't know some I think if I turned off the sound, it would be okay. But all that music and everything that builds you up and creeps you out. Turn the lights off and watch everything with the light, with the sound full blast. Yeah. Ugh. What was the dream I had recently? Oh, I'm trying to think. I, I've been. I think maybe the pandemic has uh, maybe stressed me out a little bit too much because the the dreams I've had in the last couple of years. I wake up and I and I walk around the house at night and I look out the windows and I'm just making sure like. <laughs> I'm awake, you know, like you're kind of, sometimes yeah. you feel like you're stuck in it a little bit, but yeah. um, uh, hopefully I'm going to go to bed with some good dreams. No more, no more nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's it, Lori. And normally my shtick is we do, I do wrong answer only tweets on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are hilarious. You know, I, I, that's, that's where the name for the podcast came. And now, and now season two is, is full of interviews and honestly a pleasure to have you on well your podcast is great i hope a lot of people will listen it's i've been listening to it on my like i said i have it takes me about an hour and 20 minutes to get to work right so it's kind of nice to have something to listen to besides you know yeah the same old music well i uh i appreciate i appreciate the support you know hopefully we'll be putting out some uh interesting conversations this one included that uh, you will enjoy and other people will enjoy. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the Mr. Mike podcast. Wrong answers only. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, in the future, keep us up to date with uh, your writing projects, and uh, we'll de and then we'll definitely have you back on talk about your other writing projects and uh, anything else. That's it. I'm gonna probably go get back on Twitter and talk about how awesome you are. Oh, thank you, guys. You're, you're inflating my ego a little bit too much. Just expand the headphones. 
Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Mr. Mike Podcast. Wrong answers only. Don't forget, check us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Mr. Mike MTL and Wrong Answers MTL. Tune in next time for more interviews and more discussions and more episodes with Mr. D and myself. Your support is greatly appreciated. Subscribe, download, share with your friends and family. Leave a review if possible. The Mr. Mike Podcast, Wrong Answers Only, is available wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.